I'm pretty convinced that for us in Latin America or for entrepreneurs in emerging markets, for that matter, now that we can tap into sort of global capital, uh, one of the very first things that we need to do is we need to build that trust. We need to be able to close that gap uh, between what uh, an investor may think uh, of, uh, you know, emerging markets entrepreneur when compared to what they're used to in their sort of home market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is Gaston Irigoyen, CEO and co-founder of Pomelo, a company building and modernizing the fintech infrastructure of Latin America. Since inception, Pomelo has raised over $45 million from an impressive roster of backers, including Tiger Global, Monashi, Sequoia, Insight Partners, Index Ventures, QED, and Gilgamesh Ventures, as well as Jackie Reese's, Max Lefchin, Bizstone, Angela Strange, Eric Gleiman, and the list of impressive angels and funds goes on and on. In this episode, we discuss modernizing LATAM's financial infrastructure and how Pomelo is refreshing legacy tech that was built decades ago. Fundraising lessons. Is it an art or a science? Gaston shares frameworks and best practices that have worked for him throughout his entrepreneurial journey and why it's critical to bring strategic angels and industry operators on board. Gaston's optimism for the next decade of entrepreneurship in the region and why the next wave of fintech will probably be led by B2B companies. Reflections for emerging market entrepreneurs and what he learned from living in Dublin, Ireland and just a lot more. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Gaston Irigoyen from Pomelo. Well, Gaston, welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast. How's it going today? Joining us all the way from Buenos Aires, I imagine. Yeah. Hey, Miguel. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure. And uh, yeah, things are going well. Um, Buenos Aires here. Uh, the summer is starting to hit, so uh, good weather ahead of us. Amazing. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I was there, but I'm, I'm going to visit again in the next couple of months. So, you know, I'm excited to see how, how it has continued to improve. Uh, well, Gaston, so let's, let's jump right into it. I, I want to take the first couple of minutes to get to know you for the audience to really uh, understand your background and how it led you down the road to, to Pomelo. But let's, let's back up a little bit. I know you've been an entrepreneur. You started a company, and I believe it was in Ireland. You, you started companies all over the world. So let's, uh, let's hear about your story. Yeah, of course. So I've been very fortunate to work my entire career in tech. Uh, I started uh, about 15 years ago. I was super lucky to be one of the first five employees for Google uh, in Spanish-speaking Latin America. So this was back in 06, so a couple of years after the IPO and during the uh, phase of international expansion and hyper growth. Uh, Google first opened an office in Sao Paulo and then opened an office in Buenos Aires uh, to serve 17 Spanish-speaking markets here in LATAM. And uh, it was a truly amazing experience. You know, we built the operation from scratch. Uh, and all in all, I spent six years at Google, the first three here in Buenos Aires, and then I moved to Europe, to Ireland, 
and joined another very entrepreneurial team at Google, the YouTube Partnerships team, where we were essentially monetizing YouTube for the first time. So spent uh, several years, you know, traveling throughout Europe, trying to spot the now called YouTubers, um, you know, people who had uh, good skills and good potential, but really didn't know how to build a content business on the internet. So yeah, that was that was fun. And uh, yeah, I, I started my, my first uh, company uh, out of Dublin based on the insights that I discovered while working at YouTube. And uh, yeah, that was my very first entrepreneurial experience. It ended up being a four-year journey. I moved to New York halfway through, and then we sold that, that company in the Valley. So yeah, that was my very first um, you know experience as an entrepreneur. After that, and having lived uh, seven years abroad between Europe and the US, I came back to Latin America. I really didn't have a lot of context or a team or an idea for LATAM. So what I did was joined another startup, one that was in good path, that had raised money from good investors, it was called Restorando, which is almost like the open table for Latin America. And uh, yeah, I joined as part of the leadership team. I was responsible for the entire marketplace, so sales, marketing, and partnerships uh, throughout eight markets. And um, yeah, we had a leading position in seven of them. And then in Brazil, we competed against a local player and also TripAdvisor through their brand, The Fork. And when we became profitable, uh, TripAdvisor acquired Restaurando. So that was a, another incredibly you know, exciting experience. Uh, selling into a listed company you know, was a great, great experience. And after that, I moved on to create a neobank here in Argentina called Naranja X where I was the CEO from the very first day, not the founder, because this was a spin-off of the largest financial institution here in Argentina, another sort of listed company here. And um, yeah, within 18 months, we built a team of 300 people. Uh, we launched a mobile wallet. We launched a POS business. We did a process through which we were granted a banking license with the Argentinian Central Bank. And yeah, we ended up sort of flipping the wallet and, and becoming a neobank here. And finally, we actually merged with a sister company called Naranja, uh, which is the largest credit card issuer in the Argentinian market. So we ended up having a company of 3,000 people. The credit card, which had a portfolio of about five to six million customers, uh, you know, was sort of flipped over into the neobank and it became sort of the, the flagship product within that neobank. And precisely... In that experience, I realized how difficult it is uh, to build a fintech business in Latin America and most importantly, how difficult it is to scale it throughout LATAM because, uh, you know, we are in front of a very, very fragmented uh, continent when it comes to financial services. So that's when I got together with uh, Juan and Hernan, my two co-founders, and we started thinking about building Pomelo. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll talk about Pomelo in a second. Um, but before we go there, I don't know if I shared this with you in the past, but I also lived in Dublin. No way. Uh, I wasn't an entrepreneur. Yeah, I wasn't an entrepreneur there, but I was a banker. But I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, it's interesting that this uh, Dublin is this hub uh, for, for a lot of people, particularly Europeans, right, who are making things happen. How, how do you think that experience of launching a company in Dublin and then New York shaped your way of thinking yeah um yeah we should say dublin uh as uh, as they as they yeah. usually say i actually say it in different different ways based on where you are in ireland but uh oh nice nice 
at that point of Guinness. I really miss <laughs> I'm them. Showing off my yeah, my fake pint of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, like uh, that experience in in Ireland, particularly those first couple of years working at Google, were uh, incredible because that was really a hub. Um, I think there were people from fifty to sixty different nationalities in that very same Google office. So it really opens your mind, you know. I had lived abroad uh, in the past when I was sort of younger, uh, but never um, in a pure sort of professional experience and professional fashion. And uh, it's incredible. It, it really, you know, uh, allows you to increase your network, to meet people from all over the world. People think and operate in, in different ways. In fact, as a Latin American, I remember going through a lot of those personality tests at Google and um uh, I was always surprised because I would always get, you know, the uh, you know results where my personality looked a little bit more like a Dutch or a German than a than a Latin American, you know. So yeah, you know, you you get to experience those uh, those things and and uh, make friends from all over the world. And yes, I agree with you. Um, you know, Dublin in, and, and Ireland is a little bit like Israel, if you want. Or uh, there's a couple of other countries that have started to build those sort of entrepreneurial hubs in in Europe. But it was one of the first um, uh, countries to have like a publicly funded uh, BC arm, if you want. In fact, they were investors in my company. Yeah, you know, they were a little bit bureaucratic and, and they would look at the business in, in, in sort of in ways that BC probably wouldn't. But uh, at the end of the day, they were they were really helpful for the ecosystem. And um, the, the one thing that I always liked about Ireland, and it resonates with, uh, you know, me here in Argentina and most of the Latin American entrepreneurs is that the fact that being a small country, you're almost obliged to look beyond your market. You know, uh, lots of uh, Irish entrepreneurs uh, would look at the US or all of Europe, um, but they, they knew straight off the gates that they couldn't build a business just for Ireland because otherwise it would be like a tiny, tiny town, you know? So um, that's something that, that stuck in my mind always. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit about Pomelo then. Uh, full disclosure, of course, happy to say I'm a proud investor in Pomelo via Gilgamesh Ventures, of course. Uh, and and something that I think is exciting and that people love is the fact that you're you're building, I guess, regional company from day one, right? Because you recognize that a lot of the problems of Argentina or Brazil are very similar in Mexico, yet you are localizing it. So let's let's hear about you the story a little bit, and then you know, the, the solutions that you're building. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in line with what I was mentioning before, we happen to be based uh, here in Buenos Aires in Argentina now, which is an interesting market, but not big enough. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we we must have a regional approach, you know. Uh, we're starting to see more and more uh, Latin American companies tackle the entire region from day one. Although, of course, some companies, you know, are pretty much focused in Brazil. Some other companies are focused in Spanish-speaking Latin America and, now, most, most recently, we've started to see companies that are actually looking at the entire world, which is fantastic because, you know, uh, 5, 10 or, or 20 years ago, it was unheard of, you know, and, and we're starting to produce very good case studies along those lines. But, um, yeah, when it comes to Pomelo, it was very clear to us that we had to build a regional uh, company here. And the reason being is that the infrastructure for financial services in Latin America is uh, totally old school, obsolete uh, you know, the tech was built, you know, 20 to 30 years ago. 
uh, we felt that pain and suffered that firsthand. Uh, my co-founder, Hernan, was the third employee in the history of Mercado Pago. He spent 12 years there. Then together we built Naranja X and it took us, you know, 18 to 24 months to launch a neobank. And also our other co-founder, Juan, uh, who was a director of FinTech and MasterCard, he would sign all of these issuing deals throughout the region. And then it would take forever before they, you know, they actually produced uh, transactions and any revenues. And so the point being is that it really takes a fair amount of time, as I said, you know, anywhere between, you know, 15, 18 or 24 months to launch a FinTech. But it also requires like $50 million in funding or a 300 person team. And that's just to launch in one market. So that means that you have to deal with incumbent players with lots of, uh, you know, bureaucracy. It's really hard. It's really hard. And after two years of hard work, you only launch and your fintech or, you know, your wallet or your neobank is highly decommoditized because it offers the exact same thing as everyone else. Right. And so only then you can start working on your value prop and differentiating yourself from everyone else. But the most interesting thing here is that if you are successful and you have regional aspirations and you want to go to that second, third, fourth market, you essentially have to go and do the exact same thing over and over again in that second, third or fourth market. Right. And that's because the region is incredibly fragmented. Uh, every country has its own financial system, its own players, meaning that you have to go you know, browse them, negotiate with them, integrate with them, and so on and so forth. So there's actually very, very little that you can repurpose from your original market, right? And so, yeah, at Pomelo, we are uh, essentially trying to create the first ever 21st century regional infrastructure uh, so that you can, you know, not only launch your fintech uh, with ease, uh, but you can scale it very quickly throughout the region. And so if you put things in perspective, uh, we're seeing more and more, uh, you know, VC rounds coming into LATAM, and not only in fintech, but within different uh, verticals. What you foresee uh, happening in the region is that, uh, you know, we'll have these very successful companies, the ones that are being incubated now, that will be market leaders, category leaders in the years to come, and they will want to expand uh, you know, their fintech businesses very quickly. Uh, and again, it's not only about fintech, it's also about like all of the embedded finance wave and push that it's coming up. And so we believe that we can be a very good partner of choice for them to actually tackle the entire region, to continue to focus in their core business and in their core value proposition. And as opposed to investing all of their, uh, you know, uh, funds and team and energy and, you know, all of that into plugging into the local financial systems that they can use all of those resources to differentiate themselves and to, at the end of the day, build a bigger and faster business. Now, why do you think this hasn't really been done before? Was was the market not ready? Uh, was the talent not there? Yeah, I think um, it's a combination of, of the talent pool and not being bundled in such a way that, you know, a relevant team could tackle this opportunity. But I also think it's related to timing, right? Generally speaking, what we see is that, you know, when, when technology penetrates and disrupts different industries, it typically starts with B2C. And that's exactly what we've seen in LATAM in the last, you know, three to five years. We've seen the wallets, the crypto wallets, the neobanks, the lending platforms, and uh, so on and so forth, emerge in fintech. We've seen, you know, some players uh, consolidate. We're now starting to see the first IPOs with like DLocal and Nubank and several others. Well, DLocal, of course, is not B2C, but, you know, you get the point. Mercado Pago, of course, as part of Mercado Libre. So essentially, we've seen like the B2C wave, right? 
Unfortunately, all those players had to do it the, the hard way because they had to do exactly what I described before. And they are all sitting on top of legacy infrastructure and they are all frustrated with all the integrations and the sort of legacy and increment providers that they're working with. They, these are not really kind of partners or sort of new gen uh, tech companies, you know. So now we're starting to see the B2B push, if you want, and uh, Pomelo is one of the one of the players, but there's, you know, some other very relevant companies. So if you look at open banking, there's a couple of uh, very interesting companies. If you look at cross-border payments, there's a couple of really interesting companies. So now it's time for, for B2B and, you know, hopefully we can all do a good job in terms of, uh, you know, improving the infrastructure in Latin America and uh, setting the ground for, for the, you know, continent to flourish. So I, I think those are, those are the main ones, but you're right. You know, the talent pool is, is something relevant. There's very few people, very, very few people that actually have the skill set around financial services infrastructure, but also the mindset that it's required uh, to build a tech company. And I think one of the beautiful things about Pomelo is that we've been able to bundle uh, such a team. You know, uh, lots of the, you know, many of the members, if not all of the members of Pomelo have been building most of these B2C companies and have suffered firsthand kind of the frustration and so they know exactly how they like to consume these products and therefore we'll we're building them with with you know such uh, sort of vision in mind yeah and and on this point on the talent point uh, is it still true that you haven't really spent a dollar on recruiting right you've actually been able to attract some of the best talent organically right um, what do you think that is? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, we went from three co-founders back in March uh, to 125 people today at the end of November. Uh, hopefully we'll you know, double or triple the size of the team uh, in, in the months to come. And yes, we haven't spent a single dollar in talent acquisition. We haven't spent a single dollar in ads or anything related. It's been 100% organic. And I would say it's partially because our previous roles in, in the industry the people usually, you know, trusted and, and um, you know, had seen our track record and what we had built before. And that was a big lever for us uh, that allowed us to bring sort of the first sort of core team. And then uh, we were really able to live up to this idea that, you know, the, the good talent brings more talent. And so we've been able to tap into our network and uh, the people who joined us uh, have been able to tap into their respective networks and then you know, we uh, we have been very active on LinkedIn, for instance, with a completely different approach to what we have seen historically um, in LATAM in any industry, really. And so the market has sort of been watching us. And um, yeah, they've been interested with um, with what we have been doing, of course, like the two funding rounds, which were very large for Latin American standards, uh, called people's attention. But not only that, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, they see a very good team tackling a humongous opportunity. And um, we've been very fortunate to be able to, you know, talk to an interview and onboard some great people. And to date, I was checking the other day, we have had over 5,000, uh, you know, sort of organic job applications. And for instance, the other day, we opened a role for the chief uh, people officer, which is like an extremely critical uh, job. Uh, and role, and I posted it on LinkedIn, and it was incredible. We had like over 200 very talented people who applied uh, within, you know, 24 to 48 hours, and we're now going sort of through the process of uh, getting to know them and so on and so forth. So hopefully we can continue to build on top of that, but 
uh, if there's one thing as founders that we're really proud of up, up until now is the fact that we have been able to, you know, to bundle uh, an e extremely talented uh, team uh, from a technical standpoint, but also with, you know, the right sort of mindset and cultural fit. So I think that's one of the biggest differentiators uh, here in LATAM, where you don't necessarily have the amount and the breadth of talent uh, with fintech experience that you may see in other parts around the world. Yeah, yeah. But I think also your experience shows that there's this real hunger from people to, you know, to join exciting companies that are really building the future. Let's talk a bit about fundraising, right, uh, which has been one of your strengths mm -hmm. as a company. Now, I think for a lot of people in, in an ideal world, you bootstrap and you never raise a dollar and, you know, you keep all the equity. But of course, that's that's not the case for most companies and for most people. And you, know, you do have to partner with with investors. First of all, do you think fundraising is an art or a science? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, you know. Listen, like we always knew that we had to fundraise and we always knew that we were going to go down the BC route because of the nature of our company, right? Well, first of all, like we live in a in a very hectic, uh, you know, and speedy world. And especially this year in Latin America has been almost like a turning point in terms of, you know, fundraising for companies or money allocated by, by the VC industry and community. So it's almost like, I w it's not a must, as you said, like a lot of, a lot of companies don't need it or, or don't want to do it. But I think, you know, the best companies in LATAM are being incubated thanks to, you know, or as a consequence of really being able to tap into, into large rounds. Uh, and also when it comes to financial services infrastructure, you know, you don't build this thing from one day to the other. You know, it's going to take multiple years. You know, we have to tackle many countries. We have to solve a lot of problems. So we always knew that we had to be funded. Is it an art? Is it a science? I think it's a little bit of both. I think nowadays you can run the process in a very scientific uh, manner, in a, you know, with a very scientific sort of fashion and approach. Uh, things like, for instance, creating like a very clear and short window where you go out and talk to the market and sort of, you know, create this sense of urgency and scarcity and even competition, which, you know, if you run a good process leads to a little bit of FOMO and gives you optionality as, as an entrepreneur and as a company. So there's definitely, a, you know, some frameworks and, and best practices and science that you can apply. But I, I also feel like there's a lot of art into it, right? I think you, you need to be be paying attention to all the small signals uh, throughout those processes or even like before the processes or after the processes and have that sort of ability to read the situation and to make uh, quick sort of adjustments, right? And also when you're talking to, you know, funds or even angel investors, you're talking to people, right? You're not talking to machines. So that sort of empathy, that sort of approach, having an etiquette, uh, being able to build trust and confidence, th these are all very, very important things. And I think, you know, I'm pretty convinced that uh, for us in Latin America or for entrepreneurs in emerging markets, for that matter, now that we can tap into sort of global capital, one of the very first things that we need to do is we need to build that trust. We need to be able to close that gap between what uh, an investor may think of, uh, you know, emerging markets entrepreneur when compared to what they're used to in their sort of home market or their sort of backyard, you know. So it's almost like we need to build trust. We need to build confidence. We need to show that, you know, we're equally professional, 
probably even have like even more hunger or more drive or more desire because of, you know, what we have lived in the past or situations that we have gone through the past and this sort of, you know, very intrinsic feeling that we can make a difference from for our regions and really sort of drive society forward. But that needs to be done. And that's, you know, uh, that's, you know, part of that is art is the way in which you tell the story. Um, it's it, it's a way in which you sort of you know communicate and and you know emphasize with with um, with, with whoever is on the other side, um, and then sometimes the the devil is also in the details. You know the way in which you write an email, the way in which you present yourself, if you are on time, if you are not. Uh, these are all things that you know sometimes we we fail to do the right way in Latin America, and um, I think that sets apart you know some entrepreneurs from the rest. One thing that you did successfully was to also bring on board a bunch of very successful angel investors, operators within the fintech industry. Um, first of all, was this a deliberate strategy from day zero? And then how helpful has that been? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we first um, decided to you know, engage with a couple of angels or sort of super angels that we thought you know, would help us, you know, take our process to the next level and really get things going. So Brian Reckworth from Latitude and previously Viva Real played a, a really sort of important role there. Uh, Florian Hagenbuch from Loft, sort of the same. And then we had some, you know, uh, people that, you know, we probably had sort of less deliberate strategizing with uh, guys like, you know, Max Levchin, for instance, but, you know, that obviously have a marquee name in the fintech industry. And um, yeah, those are some names. It's really like the list is, is really long and vast. And most of the founders of, of uh, Latin American uh, unicorns are part of our cap table, you know, OutZero, Rappi, uh, Loft, which I mentioned, you know, and, and many others. But they were also very kind to open their networks and, you know, sort of get things going. And they helped us you know, strategize and, and, and get those runs uh, going. And the reason why, in very simple and general terms, we thought that people like Brian or Florian were very good sort of levers is because they're not Latin Americans, right? One is German, one is American, but they have been operating in Latam for quite some time. So we thought that they were sort of in between or halfway through, but in the good sense of the word, uh, where they had sort of this international connection, international expertise, international network, but they also knew and understood firsthand how things operate in Latin America, right? And so they were really good sort of bridges for us in terms of, you know, building and start sort of packaging those uh, first rounds and tapping into people that, you know, we, we didn't have direct access to. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And And so Gaston, just to wrap up, Going forward over the next few years, what's your vision for the fintech and I guess also the entrepreneurial ecosystem of the region? Because, of course, we've been going through some amazing years and it seems that we're building on top of the success, right? I'm definitely betting on it. But what's your vision for the next few years? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um when it comes to, you know, Pomelo as a company, I think in very, very simple terms, but also in very, you know, in a very graphic way, we would love to build a company that allows our partners and our customers to feel like Latin America is almost like Europe. And what do I mean with this? If you go to Europe and you look at any of the neobanks in Europe, 
if you get a license from ECB, the European Central Bank, you can almost immediately tap into and sort of, uh, you know, unlock the opportunity in like 25, 30 markets, right? Maybe now with Brexit, UK is like a different story and things like that, but you get me. I mean, the point being is that it's kind of very clear that there's this uh, common denominator in Europe, whereas maybe doing some adjustments, you may have some currency issues or particular sort of local nuances, but in general terms, you can unlock, you know, 25, 30 markets. I don't know what the exact number is in, in the European community. In Latin America, we don't have and will most likely never have a Latin American central bank that sort of regulates uh, financial services throughout the board, right? So we believe that we can build a very relevant company by building an infrastructure and almost like a layer of regulation that is superior in every single market, is the most relevant in every single market, and as a result of that is the most relevant throughout the continent. We are completely convinced that you win Latin America not by building a Latin American layer, but by being the best player in every single market. And the sum of being the best in every single market is what makes you the best throughout Latin America, right? So that's kind of one thing. The other thing is, I think and hope that, you know, Latin America continues to be in a very good track when it comes to attracting uh, capital from uh, other parts around the world, and we can build on top of what has been happening in 2020 and more more specifically in 2021. I think the, the ingredient that it's going to start to play its role and a very positive one starting in 2022 is that as we see the new bank IPO, we, we've had the D-local IPO, there's a few other IPOs coming. Um, all these angel investors that are going to profit um, big times from those uh, liquidity events will start pouring more and more of their capital into the region. And this is sort of firsthand Latin American you know, money, if you want, uh, that is going to help create that next sort of wave uh, of entrepreneurs. Right. And I think that's going to be uh, critically important. And um, yeah, I mean, of course, we need to continue to show success uh, stories. But I have no doubts that we will be able to produce them, right? I think Latin America has the raw talent. Many times our biggest challenge is around sort of framework. But if you think of it in sort of football or soccer uh, sort of analogy or terms, uh, and you look at, you know, the, the big sort of European leagues and the best clubs around the world, most of them have like, you know, amazing Latin American strikers or midfielders or, uh, you know, even defenders. And these are people, uh, these are athletes that had very, very raw talent. They were extremely talented and, and they were very good players here in, in Latin America, in whichever clubs they played. But they didn't become like the best strikers in the world from, from one day to the next. They had to go to Europe, maybe go through a tier two team, then into a tier one team. They had to train. They had to look after their nutrition. They had to look after, uh, you know, uh, more personal aspects. And they ended up becoming very well-rounded athletes and, you know, and soccer players after many, many years of sort of framework and uh, a very professional approach that made their skills perform uh, at its best, you know. And I do feel that Latin American entrepreneurs are sort of in that path and in that journey. So for, for me, I, I think one of the biggest responsibilities that we have uh, here is to build those frameworks that can complement that sort of hunger and those skills and that sort of raw talent um, that, that entrepreneurs have. I love it. And, and I look forward to seeing the, the Pomelo Mafia, right, come out and, and go out and, and launch 
their own companies, not just in fintech, but all across the industry. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, uh, I think uh, we still have many, many years ahead of us before we can start sort of graduating, uh, you know, people from our team and, you know, seeing them uh, move on and be very successful with, with other uh, companies, which is precisely what we're seeing with companies like uh, Rappi, for instance. You know, it's uh, we've started to talk about the Rappi Mafia here in Latam and uh, or even the Meli Mafia. And that's uh, that's absolutely, you know, critical and spectacular for uh, for the region. So hopefully, you know, we are in that path. And, you know, I'd be uh, thrilled if I start seeing, you know, in the years to come, some people that, uh, you know, move on and create some great other companies. And hopefully we can back them too. I feel like we still have to do a lot of work before that happens. Agastón, thank you again for, for joining us. Fascinating stuff, what's going on and what, what you guys are doing. And I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you very much, Miguel. It was a great pleasure. I had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, looking forward to meeting with you in person once you are down here. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Gaston Irigoyen, co-founder and CEO of Pomelo. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and truly, truly means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the great editor Rafael Ostria for his amazing work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. <laughs>